Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast welcome to this wonderful talk with my friend prashant joshi who lives in austin texas with his wife manju and they have a beautiful heart of service prashant has been in leadership roles in major yoga organizations, as well as the tech world for many, many years, probably three decades or more. And I've always found Prashant to be one of the most friendly, positive, kind, supportive, loving people in the field. And in our discussion today, you'll hear his kind of philosophy of life and yoga and leadership and where all that joy and sweetness that he and Manju bring, where it comes from. It comes from hours a day of personal practice with a focus on being your authentic self and showing up with a heart for service and really just kind of letting the goodness that you cultivate within kind of flow out into the world. So some of the things that Prashant brings to this conversation are things like, how do we demystify yoga and leadership? And and how do those two things go together? He talks a lot about things like sales and marketing and how that's actually just you being of service to the world. Like it, it's not this separate thing that you have to go sell yourself or sell your soul. It's just you showing up authentically as your best self. We talk about the acronym of leadership, L-E-A-D-E-R, level-headed, efficient, aware, daring, exemplary, and righteous. So he goes through a beautiful acronym on leadership. And we talk about what does it take to cultivate abundance and basically receive prana back to become self-sufficient so that you can continue to do this work. There's many other things such as the role of quantum physics that we get into and what it means to be a truly friendly person who's putting that goodness out into the world. And then we finish with a nice yogic centering. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. It made me feel more uplifted and kind of happy going into my day because we taped it first thing in the morning. And I'm really grateful to introduce you to my colleague and my friend, Prashant Joshi. I am so happy to welcome Prashant Joshi, also called Coach P who is a leadership guru, if I can call you that. I've been admiring your work for many years. So welcome, Prashant. It's so nice to see you. Well, thank you very much, Amy. I'm getting goosebumps just with that because our friendship is so sacred. So thank you very much for this opportunity. And I look forward to our chat together. Wonderful. So first, I just want to start with 
Today is a very auspicious day that we're taping this. We're usually about a month ahead of when we release, but tell us a little bit about today and the specialness of it. Cause I think kind of marking these special days is really important. Yeah, no, thank you. So it's interesting, it's August 11th and actually it's 11 o'clock on the, in the central time when I'm here in Austin, Texas. So 11 is an auspicious number just by itself is a, it's a palindrome. One one. So if you see one one on the clock sometimes, or one eleven, or just eleven, you know, just say, "Wow, thank you." So that's just a simple thing about numbers. It's a palindrome, which is a sign of abundance. Mm. Abundance is a beautiful word for all of us because we want abundance of health, wealth. On a Indian cultural way, which is my roots are from India and the ancient culture. Today is a full moon, lunar calendar. It's a full moon, which is again a scientific phenomenon. And on this day, it's a celebration called Raksha Bandhan. Raksha is a protection and Bandhan is a bond. So this is the day when a sister ties a knot on brother's wrist and a brother gives some goodies and it's a sign of protection, love. And there's a historical context, but we won't go into it, but it's very, very auspicious, sacred, and it's a way to strengthen the friendship, strengthen the love, which we all need, as you know, no matter where we come from. So. Hope that uh, mm-hmm. gives you some uh, context. That's so lovely. I mean, I think when I think of you and your wife, the word that comes to mind for me is my tree. It is that continuous effort to stay in connection and communication and friendship. And I just admire your tenacity to continue to try to create connection with people. It's a real gift. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Putting it in a kind of gentler way, I really appreciate it. And I sometimes I choke up and I say a few things because, you know, persistence is a beautiful thing, relatively speaking, you know, persuasion, because sometimes we live in the world where we become hard-nosed in a second. You know, mm-hmm. we close our minds or we say, hey, what am I going to get out of this, whatever connection? So we become very short-sighted. And the bigger picture of this whole yogic work is there's a conviction. There is a bit of a vision that you you get, again, just in the leadership thing and with which you persuade, you persist. And then, of course, you can always walk away when you hit a brick wall. But the idea, again, is persist for the right reasons. And then slowly the closed minds also open up. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, and that's really, again, coming, I get into mental health in that conversation. If you think about it, that so much damage happens when we just close our minds and we are just suffering anyway. So that's kind of, appreciate the kind words. Mm. So going back to what an auspicious day this is, I know you work for an organization, I think it's Esfiasa, that has started Vivekananda University out of Los Angeles, but it's an online university. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization you've been working with and why today is such a special day for them? So sure, again, in the context of yoga therapy, and then I may even go a little nostalgic here, that my first yoga training was in 1984 in Mumbai, when stressed out 22-year-old was told by my dad that, hey, go, there's a yoga shibir. Shibir is a, like a training camp happening, yoga camp happening, go attend it. That was organized by Vivekananda Kendra, which became later S. Vyasa, which is a whole yoga university, deemed to be university outside of Bangalore, India, Bangalore. And the vice chancellor of that is Dr. Nagendra. So he was my first instructor in that camp that I attended in 1984. And the vision of Dr. Nagendra, who's now currently a consultant, by the way, for the Prime Minister of India, who was instrumental in making International Day of Yoga possible, June 21st, United Nations. So Dr. Nagendra's vision was, hey, Yoga should not be confined to a, you know, teaching under a roof, one roof. How about this planet as a roof? And then, you know, we are not constrained by who can attend, who can join, who can learn and have graduate level curriculum. So in 2020, this initiative actually took off, but it was, the work was going on for seven plus years and a lot of hard work by Dr. Srinath, who's the president of YU, which is Vivekananda Yoga University in the U.S., and one Dr. Murli Venkatra out of Seattle. So they worked hard in getting the whole accreditation process started with the Department of Education in California. So as you know, you're a Californian, there's a, a lot of stringent requirements for someone to be called a university. So anyway, so this is about philosophy, therapy, and research, three tracks, a master's level program, 
and then there's a whole pipeline roadmap of PhD level and all, all that, so that people from all walks of life, from young to old, actually become really strong in yoga therapy research and philosophy, and also create a livelihood. And the first batch of that curriculum graduated in June earlier this year, and I actually attended in Cerritos, Cerritos, California, the first convocation. Dr. Nagendra came from India on a special diplomatic visa. And today is an auspicious day because as part of, as an advisor mentor for Vayu, we put out an application for accreditation through IAYT so that students not just get a master's, but also a certification that they can carry. So today we are submitting the online application and we are hoping that in the next three, four months, we get a stamp. So that's a little context I said, let's speak today as the day we submit the online application. So You know, that is such a big deal for anyone listening to get accredited by IOIT is actually, in my experience, it's it's been even harder than when I worked at the university. <laughs> university. I mean, it is a really big process. So I wanna congratulate all of you for turning in that application and just also say hello to Dr. Nagvendra. I met him in Japan. And when I went through my recent cancer diagnosis, I don't even know if you know about that, Prashant, but I I listened to a tape that Dr. Nagendra made that was given to me by some people in Esfiasa. I listened to it going into the surgery and for like 30 days afterwards, I I did that meditation every day. So I feel kind of connected to Esfiasa and Dr. Nagendra and his team. So I'm really happy to hear that they're applying for IAYT. Thanks for that. Sure. And then again, I just heard about this for the first time. So if anything I can do to help, do not ever hesitate. And I'll call you sister. Is that okay? So because as you know, Vivekananda came in 1893 to this country, spreading the word of yoga and says, my brothers and sisters. And Mm -hmm. that was that uh, rest is history. So anyway, so sorry to hear, but we're here to help. And we can definitely talk on that offline. Thank you. So I would like to get into our topic of today, which is where you, Coach P, are like a world-renowned expert, and that is leadership. And I think sometimes yoga and leadership or yoga and business, sometimes it feels like, oh, those don't go together. One is spiritual and one is professional and about money-making and so tell us, you know, can you demystify that for us a little bit? I know, absolutely. And this is my passion. So <laughs> stop me anytime if I talk too much. But speaking is an occupational hazard. But no, it, it, the, the bigger context is I'll go back to, you know, my upbringing in this that I am a, you know, son of a servant leader who I admired, passed away at 77, but really a giving man. He would just give. If you ask him to do one thing, he'll do four things for you. So I grew up in that family and watched him as a manager, as a leader, of a, as a general manager for you know government entity. And as a youngest in the family, a few things brushed off me and so on. So I went to the workforce. I kind of imbibed some of his servant leadership values and attributes and came to this country as a grad student with a book on yoga saying that, hey, keep yourself well and, and practice it. And as I practiced more and more, I realize how it is important for us to have a better behavior, right? As a human being, period. No matter what profession we, you are in, not doesn't matter what role you're in, whether you're a janitor or a CEO, it's your behavior that makes you likable, amicable, and you, you want to do business with. So that's the bigger picture that yoga really brought me into my own as a young person that wow happened, Eureka happened, and I started sharing that. And with that came a whole thing on Wall Street. I worked for my first corporate job was at Sun Microsystems, which is the pioneer of the whole IT industry, the internet, where network is. And there I I was in sales management and so on. And on Wall Street, you can imagine the the pressure, the egos and and the money. And I said, the way you sell is when you serve. So think about it. The way you sell anything is first you have to serve. There's a product, there is an entity, there's a service. And you have to be genuinely enjoying what you're doing. And with that, I created this leadership workshop at Sun with the consent of HR. This was in late 90s, mind you. <laughs> so I got some slaps on the wrist. I got some uh, pats on the back. But I knew what I was doing because there was a yogic conviction. The practice was there. 
my energy level was high. So that's how it started that, hey, use yogic leadership. And I said, well, leader, simple, it's a word, six-lettered word, L-E-A-D-E-R. And the first thing came to my mind with L is, hey, level-headed. You know, anger creates such a problem, right? People are afraid to be at work if there's an angry leader out there. So some, even at home, there's a father, mother, someone with anger issues, you are like a little bunny, uh, you know, afraid of that environment. Again, you can stop me anytime, but that's the context of this way. Yoga is about samatvam yoga uchate. By definition, it's evenness of mind is yoga. And so it's about behavior again, coming back to behavior and character, which is needed for all of us in all walks of life. And that's why then I created, I shared, I started sharing. People liked it. Uh, it was impactful. We founded an institution in 2000 called Gurukul Yoga. And we created a vision statement, simplify and demystify life management. And I started conducting these workshops. And then we wrote about it. I wrote an article, which was published in many places, even in uh, YTT, Yoga Therapy Today, in 2010, as yogic leadership. And I created attributes, six attributes. L-E-A-D-E-R. And again, I can share more, but that's kind of the context that this is all about doing this in the context of wherever you live, wherever you are, and behaving the right way. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to very briefly, you don't have to go into detail, but what does E stand for, A-D-E and R? Since we have L for level-headed, could we have the other ones? Yes, ma'am, absolutely. So L for level-headed, and there's a definition that goes in the yogi context. E for efficient. Again, there's a yogic definition. Yoga karma sukaushalam. It's the dexterity in action. Efficiency in action is yoga. Yeah. If for aware, if for aware, very, very important word. And I do some centering with that awareness and I'll hopefully do it if we have time. D for daring. You have to be a bold leader, not about appeasing everybody. And then, you know, when we go into the appeasement mode, you know what happens. So D for daring. E for exemplary, the second E is for exemplary. You know, lead by example, that's the only way to lead, right? What's the point otherwise? Uh, then it becomes authentic. And the final R, the punchline becomes righteousness. Do the right thing. And it becomes a very holistic set of attributes that are universally applicable. And that's why this work has been received very well. And as I said, this is uh, my livelihood that I share in all the context. But yeah, <laughs> those are the six attributes. So you work in leadership, not only in the yoga world, but it sounds like also in professional settings and business settings. Yeah, I mean, see, again, just to share on that little background, I, I'm a double E computer scientist by training, double uh, E from India, electrical engineer, and did my grad studies at City University of New York. And I worked for nine years in academics. I could have been there forever. Uh, I was a candidate for a CIO in the IT context. I was in computer science. But then I joined Sun Microsystems on Wall Street uh, as a, again, pre-sales evangelist. So evangelizing is something I love, and I, I, I'm okay at it. I'm good at it. So anyway, so what has paid the bills for the past 30 years, really, is, is my so-called technology management career, right? Mm-hmm. We founded this Gurukul as a passion with my better half being a Sanskrit scholar and also creating this whole passion of a livelihood for yoga professionals. I do this in the real world and in the boardrooms, uh, classrooms and homerooms. And yeah, that has paid the bills. So tell us a little bit more about this. I've, I've just pulled your website up, www.gurukulayoga.com, and I can put that in the show notes. But, you know, I help people develop their yoga businesses as part of our 800-hour yoga therapy program. And many, many people in yoga just do not want to sell themselves. They feel uncomfortable. They feel like it's somehow not in alignment with yoga. So tell us about livelihood and and sales and letting people know who you are and how you can be of service. How do you, how do you bring those things together? Yeah, no, I, I, great question. And, and that's something we have been doing a lot. You know, we have created about 100 coaches so far as part of Gurukul Yoga. Uh, the 200-hour training, 500-hour training as a RYS, a registered yoga school through Yoga Alliance. So comes back to what this is all about. I mean, what is yoga all about? Is is a as a personal development. You become a better person. You self transformation. 
And what happens in the real world, whether you're Apple, Google, you know, any brand you take, it's about a transformation, right? For some transaction, for some goods, from services. So no matter what, you are in the selling mode of some kind in whatever role you play at home. <laughs> you know, if you have kiddos, you need to sell an idea that, hey, we're going on vacation. Uh, think about it. And it's a hard sell sometimes. Say, no, 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 I don't want to go here. I want to go there. And then it's a question is, how do you convey the message? And if you can convey it in a level-headed way versus a heart-weighted way, thou shall do it this way because I say so, uh, you won't you know, go for too long. Because remember, what we need is sustainable. So the point is, even as a yoga professional, you want to start teaching yoga. Hey, you need to say, hey, I exist. And you don't need to do a hard sell, but you need to create awareness about who you are, why you do this, what you do. So selling is inherent, but the way you sell is you serve. See, that's the thing that people, and this is not a make-believe or a pretension or you're, a, you know, like a con artist or something. This is because this is a, a classic thing that happens. There's a bad rap to a used car salesperson, but at the end of the day, there are different livelihoods that are uh, that exist. We all have a personality. If you're an introvert, you say, I hate sales and marketing. You know, people say that. As I said, as a coach, I'm an executive coach, so I, I do this. I change people from introverts to extroverts if they wish or if that, that's where their destiny is. So it comes back to if you're a yoga professional and you're shying away from so-called selling, then take a deep breath, <laughs> which should come easy for a yoga professional and say, wow, why am I closing my mind saying that this is selling? No, you're in the servant leadership. You're serving and people want to enjoy that your service. And for that, that's why the old-fashioned way is Guru Dakshina. That's the old-fashioned way of tuition. And what does that mean, right? That's why these words matter. That's why we named our institution Gurukul. Guru is, of course, dispeller of darkness. Gu is for darkness. Ru is for light. So one who takes you from darkness to light is a guru. And it doesn't have to be a person. It could be an experience. And then cool is the lineage or the dynasty or uh, entity uh, institution. So Gurukul is the old fashioned way of teaching. A, t a genuine teacher, a genuine student, they have an exchange. And it's a give give. So students say, I don't have money. Well, that's okay. Hey, I mean, you can serve, you can create a handbook, you can uh, wipe, swipe, you know, sweep the floor. So this is the old fashioned way that you are completely surrendering your ego. In, in giving your blood and sweat, and the teacher gives his or her blood and sweat, and it's a beautiful exchange and give give. So let me take a pause. Ho hope that helps. Yes, I really I I love the way that you frame this. That when you have something you're passionate about and you're wanting to be of service, people need to understand that you exist. You can't hide in your house and think anyone's going to find you. So it's just. You know, we don't have to call it sales or marketing, but there does need to be some connection with the people who need you. So tell us a little bit more about abundance. What is your view of abundance? Because when I heard you talking, there's so many yoga people that are actually being of service, but they're not actually able to sustain themselves teaching yoga. And it sounds like you have had a second job. I taught at a university for 25 years as my second job, <laughs> pay the bills, right? But there's so many people in yoga that aren't making it financially specifically. Maybe they have a, an abundant life in terms of time and energy and health and connection, but they simply can't pay that next bill. So tell us a, a nice definition of abundance and, and what that means to you. Yeah, and, and if you don't mind, actually, I, I'll even do a little recitation of a mantra, if that's okay, because that creates the vibrations for all of us and the listeners to even wish and manifest abundance, right? That's very important because we can talk about it, but if you're not, have that intent. So that's why, let's, uh, if you don't mind, I'll do a two-minute uh, thing. And with that, uh, so behind me, there's actually Ashta Lakshmi, you know, that eight Lakshmi is there, and Lakshmi, as you know, even in the yogic context is our shushumna, you know, it's just beautiful uh, evenness the, the, of, of our breath. So let's bring that intention 
of abundance. And if you remember, we did this in 2018 sitar, the banquet, thanks to you, we were invited on the, uh, you know, podium, and we decided this mantra. So right now, you can put your hand on your heart as a receiver, and I'll do this as a mudra, or giving mudra, or abhaya mudra. Abhaya, okay, beautiful word, bhaya means fear, abhaya is without fear. So you have an abundance of courage with which you're receiving unconditionally. And with some deep breaths, we bring ourselves here and now. And I decide this three times. Om Shreem Reem Shreem Kamale Kamalalaye Prasidam Prasidam Om Shreem Reem Shreem Kamale Kamalalaye Prasidam Prasidam Om Shreem Reem Shreem Kamale Kamalalaye Prasidam Prasidam Om Shanti 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 So that was a little intent to bring that abundance. And now, since you asked, we share. We all wish for abundance of health, wealth, you know, just wellness, roof under over our head, uh, clothes to wear, uh, you know, stomach to feed. So that's where abundance shouldn't be confused with indulgence. You know, oh, I want so much that I can indulge. But because then we forget that gratitude. And that's where the word santosha is so important, contentment. I'm content. I'm, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm getting something. But if you're, again, not getting enough, which is happening to the yoga world, and I, I've done this in India where people have said, yes, I cannot make a livelihood. And that's what we have been fighting for the past 20 plus years for others to say that yoga is a highest level of profession. You know, think about it as a noble profession. Mm -hmm. They say top 10 yoga teacher, yoga therapist, but, and then you cannot pay the bills. So there's something that has been ingrained in the society, almost of a guilt feeling. Oh, you charge money for yoga? You know, I've heard this before, by the way. I'll, uh, there's a book project in the world, so we'll, I'll share some of these uh, fun stories in a way, but they're not as funny because it's really hurting. You know, people are really, really hurting. And then they sell their soul, so to speak, to teach. Or if you have a studio, you have an overhead. So coming back to abundance is first minimize your overheads. Really have your goal. What, what do you want to do? What is it that you're trying to do, right? And then a support system comes to you. And with that, you, again, don't lose your authenticity. This is my big picture on abundance. Be authentic. Abundance will come to you. Okay? But don't be that so-called closed-minded person become orthodox, become orthodox to the extent you have a frown on your face, then <laughs> you're no longer smiling as a yogi or yogini. So be liberal, be free, you know, because you're giving something beautiful. So you modify, for example, I'll give you a simple example. We were teaching yoga, we founded a center in New Jersey, we commercial leasing, I was paying two mortgages basically, <laughs> paying the bills of my home as well as the center. And we, when you started teaching yoga, it was hard to find teachers because everybody wants to just do vinyasa and we were doing classical yoga. So one teacher came, classical yoga, I'm trained. And she was so serious that one would think that, oh, there is some calamity that has happened here <laughs> in this yoga studio. Everybody's serious. I said, what is this about serious face? And she had the impression yoga is a very serious topic. So you have to keep a serious face. I said, says who? So I said, smile is your first prerequisite for a yogi, yogini. Because you're, you're not an elitist. You're not sitting on the pedestal. You're a servant leader. You're the quarterback teaching a yoga class. Show your smile. Your energy matters. Because people come to yoga with so much of distress, right? So much of thing on their mind. They want to let go. And if you are the teacher, you're the therapist, you better have that in you so that you're giving the right message. So, uh, again, uh, I'm giving a little long-winded answer, but abundance is about first is contentment and then having the proper goal to make sure that you 
align the right energy, right, remain authentic, and uh, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and say hi. You'll get some rejections. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> abundant uh, rejections is how you actually get. I mean, there's a story, right? Uh, in the US, Lincoln was one of the presidents who got so many rejections. But then finally, you know, he made something happen. So anyway, so a lot to share, but let me take a pause. Ho- hope that helps. When I heard you talking, you know, it went back to what you said very early on with the mantra is it's about no fear and to lower your overhead and to find a lifestyle that can help you feel content and happy. So you don't show up grouchy or stressed out and to surround yourself with people who like you for who you are authentically, because if you're authentic, some people will be rejected and, and not like you, but other people will be like, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. That through no fear, contentment, minimizing overhead, being friendly, abundance will happen. Bingo, beautifully. Thank you for paraphrasing things, you know, summarizing them well. But yeah, and you can imagine now this, you take it to this little scale from one yogi to an organization and to this is universally applicable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are struggling. If you're a teacher, yeah, you're struggling because uh, they're not necessarily well compensated, even the, the school system. So this works in all fields, the right attitude, the right mindset. And that is why this is a powerful yogic leadership theme of, of uh, you serve authentically and abundance shall come and uh, be, be ready to adapt, adjust, you know, uh, simplify, demystify, innovate. I mean, this is another good word, innovate. If you're not innovative, you become an orthodox uh, Neanderthal in a second. (laughs) So don't become a Neanderthal. You know, become that innovative yogi, yogini, without again becoming a a gadget freak and a uh, slave of innovation so that you forget why this is all about a human connection or or just a being connection. So anyway. So, well, let's talk about innovation, because I think when we look at organizations like Esviasa, who's creating an online master's degree program, that is an innovation to take yoga from the Grukala to like, okay, we're going to, we're going to bring this worldwide on an online platform. How do you feel about online platforms? I mean, to me, it's really smart because it does keep the overhead very, very low people, both teachers and students don't have to travel so much, but I want to hear from you what you think of the innovation of offering quality yoga education, especially online. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, we can say with conviction that we've done that, been there, done that. I'm very vocal on a lot of levels for the right reasons. So I've been vocal with IYT, I've been vocal with Yoga Alliance because our work has been going on for the past 15, 20 plus years. And we hit some brick walls. Oh, online, contact hours, non-contact hours, all that thing. And we try to convince them, hey, this is possible. Yes, you can. It actually comes back to authenticity. The way it is possible is when two people right now, where we are, or two people or a group of people, if there's an authentic giver, that energy comes through remotely. It's not about being 10 feet away is when you get that energy. That's why this is an energy principle. This is quantum physics now we are talking. See, we can talk really any language we want. That online does work. Again, there's relatively speaking, there's places when you do need some physical presence, but in a, on the larger scale, online is an absolute necessity. It has been going on in many, many ways that people even don't know about. That when we hear about all these phenomena, which are called miracles or chamatkaras and whatnot, there's a lot of online things happen because it's an energy principle. You know, when I did this Abhaya Mudra, I could feel the energy in my hands. And I'm actually part of a global healing group right now, myself and my wife Manju, part of some Joe Dispenza work. Joe Dispenza, you may or may not know that name or your listeners, but uh, he's a yogi, just talks a different language. But it's, it's all energy uh, healing, co-heal of heart and brain coherence. So it comes back to the gatekeepers of this science and practice, the governing bodies, are sometimes not open enough 
possibly also because there is abuse that happens with some of these you know anytime you create a modality there's abuse that happens but coming back to the science is capable of delivering online education and a pandemic has taught us to be virtual which again everything every course becomes a boon in disguise so that's kind of my way of looking at it that absolutely this has been done before this is a necessity right now and absolutely going forward telehealth as you know telehealth is a real field right now maybe a billion dollar plus industry everyone is trying to minimize your overheads so we all have to yeah coming back to innovation we have to catch up we have to be at the forefront and I actually wrote that as part of my SVS uh, YU accreditation program overview that YU is trying to be in that leadership mode of showing where telehealth is going and how we are uh, aligned with it so that we all get caught up. So again, let me take a pause. Hope that helps. Prashan, I am 100% on board with everything you said from the quantum physics of authenticity coming through the computer just like it does in the classroom and not everyone's going to choose that some people like to be in person but there's plenty of people for whatever reason that are super engaged online and so and, and telehealth is the future there's no doubt both for education but also for giving and receiving care so if if yoga therapy decides not to be online primarily as an option we're going to get left in the dust it's it's already happening so i'm really glad to hear that you're using your communication skills with iuit yoga alliance some of the other organizations to really hit that home but i'm also very interested in the quantum physics of things like the mudra that you were using of no fear Tell us a little bit more about quantum physics and abundance and leadership, because I, I think that's an area that not very many people are talking about. And I think you need to write a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it will happen. Maybe we'll do a joint project. No. So again, I, I, let's, let's simplify it, right? Remember our body is an electrical entity. Think about it, right? There's what flows in our body. I mean, again, coming back to yogic terminology, we all have heard the word nadis, right? We better, uh, in the yoga therapy world, yeah, nadis, it comes from nada is, is, is the hollow structure. So we have so-called 72,000 nadis in our body, okay? And what flows in those nadis, right? There's blood flow, we all know about blood, arteries and veins carrying blood, this flows. When blood becomes stagnant, we know there's a problem. If we talk of inflammation and whatnot, so again, take talk medical lingo, through the nerves flows electricity, right? The neurons are firing and there's electricity flowing through our body. And then there's a bile, you know, the waste material flows through our body. So that's our body, that's our structure. So there's the electromagnetic field that gets created. Every thought is a vibration, is an electromagnetic vibration. So when I have a happy thought, yeah, there is a vibration. With that, you have a chemical response in your body. Think about it. Again, I'm rusty on some ends of uh, my double E and all that, but there's a brain-heart coherence with which an electromagnetic field gets created. And as we raise our energy, remember, this is where the chakras come in. And we have a course on simplify and demystify chakras. My better half is brilliant and she has done a lot of hard work in that. So if you just live in the root chakra, the energy is dormant there. You know, you just focus on, oh, my food, my honey, my this, my that. You're just grounded too much. Let's raise it up. So you go from root, you know, Muladhar, to Swadishthan, to Manipur, to Anahat. You come to the heart. That's when magic starts happening. So you've got to raise your energy so that the heart is actually expanding. There's a beautiful heart center you operate at. Then you come to your Vishuddha. That's your, you know, again, spoken, your speech and all that. Your rising energy comes to your Adnya Chakra, your intuition, pineal gland. See, that's where this pineal gland here. And then you are into the crown, the Sahasrara. And then there's the eighth, which is a, so, so these are, this is our chakra system, which is not a esoteric thing. It is science because it uh, matches the nerve plexus and all that, you know, again, we'll not get into it so much, but the point is, that this is who we are, 
then if you're raising your energy, you're able to raise your energy, you're in that realm, a different realm, the quantum realm. With that, the speed of light, that's when the travel is happening, <laughs> okay? So, and that's how we can impact. Now you can imagine the one soul can impact the other soul. If there are thousand souls, okay, impacting other thousand souls, now, now you see the impact here. Why people talk about planetary movement and the change of behavior, right? Full moon, new moon, we already know that magnetic effect of full moon, new moon behavior. I mean, the woman's cycles, I mean, this is all science again. You know, 28 days, there's a reason why it's 28 days. So this is really scientific and wow happens. Goosebumps come. Wow. Why are we compartmentalizing everything? Life is not a compartment. Body is not a compartment. It's holistic. So anyway, so that's kind of the bigger picture that you raise your energy, you, you're able to give, and others are able to receive. And that's what this is all about, is the quantum level communication versus at a you know really lower level communication, which again, uh, we are not being judgmental, but that's the potential of this, right? As we raise the energy. So, and that's the power of yoga that we need to explore, exploit for the right reason. Yes, you know, many of my Indian friends, because they were raised with this, it's just a part of them. They understand about authenticity and friendliness and well-being, you know, this idea of salutogenesis that when when you're just kind of feeling good and expansive and flowing with life, that's kind of the goal. That's where we want to spend time. And so it's, I think it's why I love being around my Indian friends so much, because that's just a natural part of how they were raised, that they knew that versus I think some of us Westerners came into the yoga door through asana to get a good workout. And it's, it's almost like apples and oranges, you know, that I'd love to know what you, what you think of that. Yeah, no, let me, yeah. So, so I, again, thinking holistic and acting holistic, I take a global view, right? That's why there's a globe behind me. It's a little symbolic that this work is global, there's a light. So, so the point is east, west, north, south, we have different cultures. But if you think about it, again, peel the onion, it's not really different. And that's why, I mean, sometimes the word religion becomes a taboo word. Ooh, don't talk about religion. Because, I mean, I adore Jesus in that context of, he was a giver. He gave his, so he was an enlightened soul, right? And he gave. The interpretation of that sometimes becomes all dogmatic in every aspect for that matter. There could be Rama, Krishna, Shiva. There is a lot of dogmatic stuff that happens in the context of our culture and religion and so on. But uh, so again, if you take the Hispanic culture, I mean, the, the, the Coco movie, or, I guess, right? Coco or, or whatever. So it's the family. There's so much of love in the family. There's so much of sorrow also in the family. So the point is East, West, North, South, different cultures, same goal that we want happiness. We are striving for happiness. We are striving to connect. We're striving for the bond. But then the ego comes. And we are resentful with our relationship, brother, sister, father, mother, father, son, you know, mother, daughter, and we are and then bosses, you know, toxic bosses. <laughs> so you can imagine how toxicity just, you know, multiplies. And our goal as yogis is to let's cleanse it up. And that's why Chittavritti Nirodaha is the definition. Let's clean it up. So that's why we praise Patanjali for the cleansing of the mind, Chitta through yoga, cleansing of the speech through Pada and cleansing of the body through the Vaidyak Shastra, Ayurveda, and so on. So, so I take, again, a global view. I take a holistic view that uh, no matter what culture you come from, there's a lot of giving that happens. There's a lot of elevated souls that are out there, right? Who will we talk a different language, but they've been saying the same thing. And, and that's why I admire, we have done this work in churches, in synagogues, in, uh, you know, I've gone to Gurudwaras. So the point is not a place where you, you close your mind, but you open your mind, open your heart. Yeah, <laughs> lot to share. There are people in every culture that understand what you're talking about, that the quantum physics of showing up as a healthy, happy human being makes for a better life and allows us to be of service. I think you're absolutely right that it comes in every culture. And I feel like India has really has a system 
really nicely laid out through Patanjali's yoga sutras, through the eight limbs of yoga to help us get there. Like I grew up as the daughter of a Christian minister and my dad is exactly what you're describing. He's all these wonderful traits, but I don't remember in Christianity, a system for getting there. What do you think of that? Yeah. Again, that's a much bigger topic. And, and, uh, you know, I spent 10 years in Queens uh, surrounded by Orthodox Jewish community. And, and we used to have fun conversation about what is this about chosen people? And then says, hey, someone would say, Prashant, you need a PhD to understand your goddess and gods and deities and how do you go beyond it and so on. And as I said, it's, we used to have a fun conversation, not a heated, you know, this. So what happens is, again, that people are conditioned, you know, when you grew up, grew up in any family you grew up in, whatever lineage or whatever circumstances you are in, Sometimes the parents are way too busy in providing for the family. And they have their own ways of then bringing religion into it, culture into it, sometimes by force, sometimes by, you know, this. So it's everybody's evolution, right, Amy? That's what makes us who we are. But then we as individuals grow up and say, you know what? Yes, there was certain upbringing, but I'm able to understand that. At the same time, I get rid of the, the bad and I clean it up so that my ecosystem now has the best of this and best of this and, and so on. So that's the way I look at it, that Christianity, uh, you know, if you have a glass ceiling, then you don't get Christianity. I mean, Jesushood. Yeah, we all have the Jesushood in us. We all have the Ramahood in us, Krishnahood, Buddhahood. But if you say, no, thou shall not go there, that's a glass ceiling, then you become that, you know, dogmatic person. And uh, Jesus, I, I jokingly say, if Jesus comes today, Say, hey, that's not what I meant. So you will almost get a yeah. giggle, chuckle. And, and <laughs> so, so that's what happens. And just the reality that half-hearted translation, you can see that things get diluted, right? You're here and the essence of this message gets diluted when it goes through this whole tradition of apostle to teacher to apostle, teacher to apostle. And that's the Guru Shishya Parampara. Mm-hmm. And that's why India is, uh, you know, fortunate that there's a 10,000 year old Guru Shishya Parampara with all, in, and pardon me if I'm using these Sanskrit phrases, but it's the teacher-student tradition yeah. that despite all the invasions that happened in India, despite all the, you know, uh, things were destroyed, the quality of teachers, quality of students carrying this on orally when the universities were burnt, remember, there's a lot of cruel, cruelty that uh, happened. But anyway, so, yeah, that's kind of the... So what I hear you saying is that pretty much any religion or culture can become dogmatic and go down a, kind of a darker corridor, or any religion or culture can aim their mind and heart towards the light and be expansive and inclusive and find this salutogenesis that it's really, there's no one road to the mountaintop. Bingo, bingo. Uh, But the only slight edit, if I may do, uh, the reason why this yoga science is so powerful, and that's why you have to really praise Patanjali that he systematized things. Yoga existed before him, right? And yoga has now gone all over, but the eightfold path, so you're socially, you're mature, evolving, physically you're evolving, emotionally you're evolving, and spiritually you're evolving. Really to become that complete being, that's your potential. And that's why I go to, on the limb, so to speak, that at the end of the day, everything is yoga, right? Because you all take a deep breath when you get stressed out. Yeah. Knowingly, unknowingly, because this is such an intelligent structure. We are a very intelligent structure that has been created at a cellular level. And yoga is simply unveiling that intelligence and becomes emotionally intelligent. So, so that's where the power of yoga is so awesome that we are scratching the surface right now uh, with all the other politics and everything that gets in. And then we just become modality saying, uh, I, the dart game, oh, I do this, I do this, I do that. I said, no, don't waste your man- energy, time, money. Just do these simple things. And uh, again, if the time permits, we'll do a simple thing at the end to really bring it home, uh, the experience, because life is about experiencing life, right? Not analyzing it. And otherwise you become analyst and armchair quarterbacks where analysis becomes paralysis. So that's a, the dilemma of, of the uh, human beings today. 
Well, I would like to have that experience in a couple of minutes, but I just want to finish up our conversation and then we'll go into the experiential part. Is there anything else about yogic leadership that you feel we really need to hear about today that we have not touched on? Is there anything that's like just super deep in your heart that you, you want to let us know about? No, no, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. So uh, I think uh, at the beginning, we use the word Maitri, right? Maitri is a friendship. And I want to bring that up out here in this context of leadership because the words matter, right? Everything has a root. So the word Mitra means friend. And that what's close to your heart is a Mitra. Mitra is, is you know, hearty. Uh, so, so now you can imagine that if you're not loving yourself in the context of being content, being happy, so that you give happiness to others. If that's not happening, toxic leaders get created. And toxic leadership is promoted, unfortunately, in the workplace. Even in the yogic workplace, it can happen. So remember, yoga is not sacred to anything because it's the human being that power sometimes can corrupt. So, so what I want to convey in this whole thing thing is the the maitri is such a beautiful concept that if you live it okay not analyze it we live it so that you become friends with yourself so we have this little thing that we do you know say hey who's your best friend and I, and we ask that trick question and people sometimes oh my husband my wife this and that i said no 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 what are we doing we're giving ourselves a huggy self huggy this is in the days of selfie you know we say this is a self huggy and so you are your best friend just know it but what happens is we become our worst enemies so you know again i share this in the uh, corporate context say competition who's your competition you are your competition you are your worst competitor because you come in between no that cannot happen no 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 all this no 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 and you have to take a deep breath and say wow i'm so grateful yes there's a possibility it can happen so that's the whole idea of Maitri friendship, that build friendship with yourself. Don't hurt yourself. That's what happens in yoga world many times. People say, oh, yoga is not for me. And then, uh, you know, touch wood, last 30 years of this work, and some people uh, may have thought of some of my practices too easy, too simple, but that's what it is, that we have, simplicity is the most advanced part of yoga. I want to bring that home at the end, that don't shy away from the so-called simplicity because that's where you connect. You get that childlike experience and say, ah, I get it. It feels so good. So anyway, so that's the, the I want to bring that point home that it's about friendship. That is so important that you build friendship with yourself first and then you, you know, give it to others. So. <laughs> it's so easy to say and yet so hard to do when you start getting stressed out and you feel like all the tasks of keeping your yoga school going or your studio and the rent is due. It's very, very hard to stay friendly, loving to yourself as well as others. So I think that in and of itself could be a lifetime of practice for us. Yeah, well, absolutely. And that's why practice is so important here, right, Amy? Because we remember our intelligence takes over so quickly. We are also almost taught to promote intelligence. Oh, he's so handsome or he's so clever. He's so bright. She's so bright, whatever that, right? We are like, like that's how we are nurtured. But then the emotional intelligence is what finally carries you in the real world. Mm -hmm. not your uh, so-called IQ versus EQ, that conversation comes. And that's why that's where yoga comes in. It shines. Uh, and uh, uh, that's why practice, practice, practice. And there's a danger to us as yoga teachers and therapists that we start sharing without doing our own sadhana. And uh, we're all guilty. I can say I'm guilty. And then I'm, you know, cleaning up the act. So Manju and I sit more consciously a couple of hours a day to do our own little sadhana. So we become again more authentic and just uh, this, this uh, frame is uh, happier and uh, hopefully we give more happiness to others. So you, you both do. And I can't wait to have Manju on the podcast too. So why don't we have just about five more minutes before we wrap up? Can you fit a little experience in, in five minutes? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And this is where actually I was fortunate to have been invited last Saturday for a community clinic opening, an integrated medicine clinic. And I was part of a sacred circle and I did 10 minutes of centering. So I'll do a shorter version of that here. And I call it ABCs of yogic centering. And I do this in all my sessions of any all executive coaching. So, and I, I said jokingly that if you can close your eyes while you're being alive, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so, because let's conserve our energy. So I said, we don't need any crutches, no, no gadgets, no nothing required. Just be free and sit wherever you are or stand or lie down. And the next few minutes, all attention on yourself. Be selfish to be selfless. This is my own line. Be selfish to be selfless. So ABCs, if you're aware, become aware of your body from toes to your head. Not all sensations may be pleasant. It's okay. Just become aware. Your toes, your ankles, calves, your shins, your knees, your thighs, your bottoms, your hips, your lower body. We are aware and our intent is always to be at ease. What a beautiful word, ease. Keep breathing, keep smiling. Eyes are closed, nothing to look at. You're conserving energy. And bring your attention further up, your lower back. It's talking to you, you're listening. So much happening there. Your tummy, your belly, you may massage it. So your digestion works for you. So you're aware of your belly, your chest, your arms all the way from shoulders to the fingertips. You may shake, wiggle, stretch your arms, relax your arms. You're at ease. And bring your attention to your neck. So much happening there. All the tension headaches. Remember, fight or flight response, our reptile brain. So gently move your head from side to side. Relieve any strain at the neck. And bring your attention further up on your face. Tranquil face. Calm face. Maybe your jaw is stressed out. So relax your jaw. You may massage your cheeks. It's okay if there's some makeup that gets smudged. And your eyes. You may gently cup your eyes. See the beautiful feeling of darkness there. You're conserving energy. You're improving your vision. And massage your forehead. You're taking consciously some time here to do the awareness of the body. Body scan. All the way to the head. So that's our little body scan. If we're aware of the body, become aware of your breath. We take it for granted. Could be shallow, could be jerky, could be beautifully yogic, smooth, continuous, harmonious. And you become aware of your thoughts. Again, that's your million dollar thing. Negative thoughts come first, remember, that's natural. 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's the statistics. That's your awareness of the body, your breath, your thoughts. Don't be judgmental, just aware. And now take a deep breath. Ah, yogic breath, ujjayi breath. Your belly is rising, chest is rising, shoulders are rising. Inhale. You're expanding and then slowly letting go. The shoulders go in, chest goes in, belly button goes in. You're exhaling completely. You're welcome to exhale through the mouth if you'd like. Otherwise, as yogis, yoginis, we have control over our glottis breathing, inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the nose, longer exhalation. With that comes C for calm. That's our ABCs, A for aware, B for breathing, C for calm. That's your outcome. And let's add some more calmness to the outcome by the sound of a singing bowl. You're breathing, you're smiling, you're grateful. Even if the sound reaches you just even one second, you got it. 
I have my original sound on on Zoom, so that will hopefully linger on a little longer. Okay, you're enjoying this experience. See for calm. And one more. And now from the external sound to an internal sound. Let's just do one sound and we'll stop. Take a deep breath in, the lips are closed. You've learned to breathe longer, exhale longer with the sound. In your own comfort zone, do it three times, five times, ten times, the mer sound, the humming sound. And feel those vibrations from within at the, every cell, every muscle, every nerve. We've taken a pause from our day for five minutes, seven minutes. And gently rub your hands together. And bring that warmth on your eyes, on your face, your head, your heart. And keep that warmth, peace, harmony, health, happiness with you all times. <clears throat> Thank you. Namaste. Thank you, Prashant. Thank you for your gift today of talking to us about yoga and leadership. Thank you for your friendship and your genuine kindness. And I'm really grateful that you spent this time with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I am so grateful for Prashant's wisdom and sweetness during this interview. And while he was talking, I felt like we could have gone in so many different directions and I had to hold myself back because I knew we only had an hour. But one of the things that he talked about was Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and the eight limb path is kind of a, a systematic way to get to your authentic self your friendly self, the, the place where you love yourself so that you can then be of service to the world. And I had made this little infographic quite a while ago. I saw something similar from Dr. Ananda Bali Yogi in South India. And I decided to, you know, create a little infographic about it. And it's basically looking at the five yamas or social disciplines and the five niyamas, which are the disciplines for yourself. How do you take care of yourself? And so at the bottom of this eight limb path, and I have it as a ladder that you're climbing up, you're really looking at your social and relational health. And that's so interesting because as Prashant talked to us about the bottom line with leadership is social and relational health, right? And then you go up the ladder a little further to asana and pranayama, what mainly people called hatha yoga. And this is where you kind of get into your own physical health and cleaning out those nadis that he was speaking of so that your energetic vibration in the world can be strong and healthy and pure. And really, you know, that goes along with eating a proper diet, taking care of yourself, getting rest, those types of things. And then the next stage on the, the upward climb towards the ladder is pratyahara and dharana, which are kind of drawing your senses inward and starting to get a one-pointed focus in your mind. As the Yoga Sutra talks about citta vritti nirodaha, and this is where we get more into our mental health and really cleaning out those samskaras and vasanas that tend to clog up our mind, really starting to connect with that place deep inside of ourselves where we see our own light and we start to feel more comfortable letting that light shine out to be of service to others in the world. And then we get to the very top of the ladder, we get to dhyana 
and samadhi. And these are more about spiritual health, meditation, and then complete absorption, just realizing the oneness that we have with the world. It's not separation. It's not me versus you. We we truly are one. And so I really love this, this ladder of first working on social and relational health, then physical health, then mental health, then spiritual health that Patanjali has laid out for us in the eight limbs of yoga. And I'll put this little infographic in the free gift category, meaning that when you sign up for our weekly free gift, you can get a little something once a week. And we actually send all the gifts out at once in the middle of the month. So if you sign up in a few hours, it won't automatically boom, come to you, but Towards the middle of the month, we get those newsletters out that have all the free gifts. So be sure to sign up for that. All right, everybody, have a great day and we will talk to you next week. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.